Support comes from Troy University's Trojan Cafe, offering handcrafted Starbucks beverages and a wide assortment of meal and snack options. Located on Troy University's Montgomery campus, across from the Rosa Parks Library and Museum. From Troy Public Radio, I'm producer Joey Hudson, and this is Clarinet Corner. Today we'll be listening to the second part of host Tim Phillips' interview with clarinetist Tasha Warren. So I'll hand it over to Tim Phillips. And I'm talking with Tasha today about a CD called Ourself Behind Ourself Concealed. This wonderful recording. And a lot of this stuff came from, these pieces came from your relationships with these musicians and knowing, uh, you know, the kind of music they make and what they're capable of. And I wanted to talk about Cornelius specifically, the composer of that last work, because... He just wrote a blog post uh, a few days ago, and it's called uh, Yo-Yo Ma is Wrong. In fact, classical music is 100% snobbery. And uh, when I first read that, I was immediately interested because I hadn't heard what Yo-Yo Ma said about about that. And I guess what Yo-Yo Ma said is that classical music isn't a... uh, isn't a snobbish thing. It's one, it's one that we can use to connect to one another. Um, but Cornelius's take on it is a little bit different and kind of based in history and reality too, because when you look at it, uh, you know, the, the, the orchestra came from this, this thing that was kind of created for aristocracy for very wealthy people to enjoy music and if you look at it today, a lot of the people who attend orchestra concerts are people who can afford it. And there are a lot of rules at orchestra concerts. You're not supposed to clap after the movement and this kind of thing, you know, not until the piece is over. And even when you want a kid to start playing an orchestral instrument, it's expensive because you have to buy an instrument. And it helps if you can get a good teacher. Um, I want I want to know your thoughts on on what he said about that and because I think it's indicative of perhaps a bigger problem within classical music of not connecting to like the American public like maybe maybe I think it should or maybe you think it should. Yeah, I um I thought it was a really interesting um interesting to look at our our profession um mm-hmm. through those glasses that were pretty clear actually yeah um you know looking why why do we have these expectations um of of equality and you know and connection if this is actually the the history that we have it there's it's it's valid and it makes a lot of sense um it did resonate with me um i think you know it's interesting because as an aspiring musician myself, when I was when I was young, um, I think I was subconsciously aware through the um, education and pedigree that I grew up in. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, my teacher was from Philadelphia and played with Philadelphia, and um, which is one know. of the best orchestras. Yeah. Oh my, and, they're so and, good. And, and he played in, in New York City too. And, mm-hmm. um, but, 
you know, it was very much of the tradition that all the all all his colleagues and all, all my teachers were all men. But that was just sort of like you took it for granted. Like you just assumed that that was going to be the case. I guess I didn't mm-hmm. really um, I didn't really think too hard about, you know, now we're going to break this glass ceiling. And oh, right. Be yeah. Place, because know? because now we're coming into this uh, this thing that, you know, you're my average clarinet corner listener may not know this, but on uh, social media in recent months, there's been a uh, a large maybe reckoning among classical music about who is invited as an artist for certain festivals and who is in, invited to be on the panel of judges for big competitions. And the the uh, the idea that's been talked about is it doesn't represent the world that we have. It's uh, it's very much more male dominated than what is represented among our students and what's represented in society. And I you know I know that you're someone who's been uh, playing and collaborating and succeeding for many many years. And I, I want to get your your take on that kind of where it stands and. What 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 do you think, and what do you think the the idea of going forward should be? Oh my gosh! Well, um, how much time do you have on this show? It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. a really long answer to that question, but I'll try to I'll try to come up with something short enough. Um, just as you said, you know, there. If you look at any band program and we've all taught in band programs and I continue to go into band pro I, I just like doing that I like teaching beginners and well advanced people I like all ranges but when you go into a say fifth grade band there are so many girls in there there's so many girls in a in a beginning band program yeah and in girl, girl clarinet players at least mm-hmm. and um you know it did start to register with me like well wait a minute all these places that i want to study all these positions are held by men where did all the girls go where mm-hmm. do they go yeah and and i still kind of wonder where where do we all go you know yeah um and so that's just a, that's always been sort of there i've always sort of understood that um i think my best approach to to countering that is to just continue to make music. I mean, I, I I feel like my my idea of success is to continue to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that I that I get to continue to do it, and I make a living doing it. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that it's um, that it is easy. And by that, I I mean I'm I'm constantly trying to find ways to continue to do this you know constantly it's it never is like oh yeah i'm here and i can continue to make music you know you're constantly um looking for that for that next project or that next thing to do and um i also you know made the decision to get married and and have children Mm -hmm. through that and for me, it wasn't a decision. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna get married and have children, and then I'm gonna put my career on hold. Mm-hmm. It was um, I want I, that's part of me that I want to be, mm-hmm. and being a musician is is me, and I'm gonna be me. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm gonna do those things. Mm-hmm. But you know, there are there are challenges to that that um, 
that many do recognize and delay having children or decide not to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but there are also a lot of challenges that even if you think you understand what they're going to be, you don't <laughs> really understand until you're really in it. Yeah. And, and that just is a, is, is, is always present as, as a mom musician. Yes. Um, so when you ask about, you know, there are a bunch of, levels of your question but uh, one yeah. of your levels was um you know where does it where do we go where mm -hmm. is it moving from here um you know i feel like the the struggles that we have that we face as musicians with funding and mm -hmm. orchestral survival and all of that and maybe even in higher education jobs that are there mm -hmm. um the lack of that <laughs> or the diminishing number of those jobs and positions. Oh, yeah. There are so actually, few, fewer jobs than there used to be, even at the big are, schools. Exactly. But the silver lining, I think, and I'm always looking for silver lining. I'm always an optimist, so mm -hmm. it can be kind of annoying, I guess. But, you know, <laughs> one uh, one optimistic viewpoint of that is that we have to – really bring out those entrepreneurial skills that we are inherent in being a musician anyway. We all have to be entrepreneurs all the time to survive, right? Mm -hmm. But even more so now for um, those generations that are emerging and trying to be successful musicians, we even more so have to look at, well, what are what are my strengths as a musician? What can I offer? that I can actually continue to make music. Mm -hmm. And that results in these wonderful ensembles, you know, um, contemporary ensembles and mixed instrumental ensembles that include clarinet, um, you know, commissioning projects that we have for our instrument um, and, 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 and connecting with audiences in really new ways. That's also extremely important. And um, something that is now, it's not even just a necessity. It's like it's mandatory. Like we have to oh, yeah. do that. Yeah. You know, I see a lot of these orchestras having these movie concerts where they play the movie and the orchestra plays all the, all the music to it. I saw the Atlanta Symphony like around um, Halloween last year did The Joker with Joaquin Phoenix, which I thought was really cool. One of my students went to it. And um, I think it's a great way to engage audiences. Um, but it's so different because... Years and years ago, I went to the Mannheim Steamroller, you know, the Christmas music thing. It was at an arena, and uh, the people that were there were not classical music traditional audience members. And I remember they would get up in the middle of the piece, and they would go get, like, concession stuff and drink and food and all that stuff. And it makes me wonder if, I mean, it was sold out. It was well attended. And it makes me wonder sometimes if that is, uh, that kind of environment is something that might be more useful for getting people to want to go to those kinds of concerts. Um, and I know that there are some people that would hear me say that and say, no, that's not what we want to do. Because then you're going to obscure the music and the subtlety of what's being created. Um, but you know, this is such a, a deep problem just with the uh, the the ongoing popularity uh, or lack thereof of the music that we create. Um, 
so, I mean, do you have any any ideas on, on how we might make this a better uh, environment for our students? Because they're graduating every year and then they have to go try to find a job or create a job. Um, yeah. We, what you say is true. It is a, um, it is a challenge to walk that line of um, what we do, which in its tradition has evolved into an art form, like it's art music, right? And mm -hmm. so when we go into a concert hall, it's like we're stepping into a museum. Yeah, it looks like be, it too. <laughs> right, we should be quiet, we should, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and in order to really appreciate the music, I also, when I'm in an audience, I want to be able to hear the music, right? Yeah, absolutely. But I think that we are, if we don't recognize the diversity of our audience and the diversity of our audience's interests, if we don't try to work that into our programming, we're really missing a lot of people who may actually want to come to eventually to come to a concert and sit quietly and yeah. listen. That doesn't mean that all of our concerts should be that, um, but I think that we need to find ways to um, to make music that is to make and present music that is relevant to more people. Absolutely. Well, um, and I, I I do have this other question about the female perspective because in my studio it's almost always uh, dominated by female students and. Um, you know, I know that when when I bring female guest artists to to the university, they appreciate it. They've told me numerous times, and my my wife has told me this for years. In fact, when we were young, when I first looked through her clarinet CDs, I was like, "Why do you have all these female CDs? I don't have any of these." And she said, "Well, you know, female clarinet players are better," and she was right in many ways. Some of those CDs are fantastic. They're some of my favorite ones. All right, let's do some listening. We'll listen to a work called Lalin by Natalie Joachim. And uh, this all comes from Tasha Warren and Dave Eggers' CD, Ourself, Behind Ourself, Concealed.
It was a work called Lawlin by Natalie Joachim with Tasha Warren and Dave Egger. So what could you tell a, a student, a college student, who doesn't see their path forward? Like, they don't know. College students don't know sometimes what's going to happen. And I wish more people would told me, okay, now here's, here's what's going to happen if all your dreams come true. Because even that isn't necessarily the blessing that you think it's going to be at times. So what would you tell one of my students who loves to play the clarinet, loves music, and wants to have success in this world? It's a hard one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Gosh. Um, Well, I think that I, that question, okay, that word success wants to have success in this world. Um, again, that goes back to my answer to that question, which is, and I, I was asked this recently, we had at the summer Academy here, we had a whole conversation with everyone about, you know, what is it to be successful? What's your idea of success and how do you achieve success? And that's just such a, it's such a personal thing. Mm-hmm. What is success for me? As I said, success to me isn't what I thought it was going to be when I was 18 or 30. Um, mm-hmm. It changes. It, yeah. it, and it, that doesn't mean that I'm like, um, you know, lowering my expectations. I don't mean it that way. Changing I'm, expectations. Maybe. Changing expectations. Yeah. So, uh, you know, what my idea of success when I was younger used to be what I thought I was supposed to do to Mm. look like I had achieved success. Yeah. You have to get this job, you do this thing, blah, blah, blah. And those, that's how you win this audition. That's how you achieve success, right? Yeah. That's not how I feel now. How I feel now is 
what do I, am I doing what I need to do and what I can do as a musician for my craft and for my instrument? Mm-hmm. That if I'm able to continue to do that and feel like I'm doing that in an honest way and in a fulfilling way, then I feel like I'm successful. I like that. I think that's a really good answer. And I think that there's something about uh, uh, communicating emotion through our music that is sometimes not always part of the conversation. But I feel like deep down, it's kind of the whole reason we're here in the first place, even though like in like in your CD and my CDs and, and you know, we're, we're trying to portray the um, the musical ideas of composers. But there's still part of us there. And and they're they're ideas that we that we connect with and that we want to share in in many in many ways. We want to share those ideas as much as anything else that we want to do in our lives. Um so uh, I like your answer. I think it's it's great. Next, we'll listen to a work called Phantasmagoria by Meg Okura. And this one actually has Meg, the composer, on it. She's playing violin on this one. And she's joined by Tasha Warren and Dave Egger. Thank you. 
That was Phantasmagoria by Meg Okura with Tasha Warren and Dave Egger. And Meg Okura was actually on that recording playing the violin. Before we stop today, I have to come back to the Grammy experience because I seem to recall that you were there. You went to it, right? You went to the Grammys. Because right. I've known people yes. who've, been, who've been nominated and they didn't go. But you did. And I see, I've read books about the Grammys. And I, I've heard that, like, backstage they have all these all these rooms. Like, Beyonce has her own room and you can't go in there. And this kind of thing, which, which I guess isn't true of, like, the Academy Awards. Like, everyone's milling around and nobody has their own little area. And I've never been to one of those shows at those big places with all the people. And there's a red carpet and all this stuff. So, please, I'm probably never going to go. So, you have to tell me what it's like. And... What did you do that day? What did you do? How was it? What, what was it like during? And then what did you do afterwards? Could you even go to sleep? Um, it was it was really wild. And it was just, um, yeah, I did not know what to expect. They don't share a whole lot of information ahead of time. It's like, you know, okay, I hope I can get in. You know, you get your, mm-hmm. your ticket is on an app and, you know, you, you know you're supposed to show up at X time and, and whatever. Um, but yeah, it was, it was an all day thing. So the, the night before was a, um, was a party for the nominees. And so, you know, everyone got to go together and just sort of celebrate being a nominee at the same time in the same place. The, um, the really big names, I think have their own party. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they, like Beyonce was not at this party. Oh, well, Lizzo was not at that party. Oh, like, hoping to like bump into Lizzo and say, Hey, wouldn't that <laughs> be cool? Player. Yeah. Oh, wow. But, um, they, they were a little bit farther, you know, distance. Um, but that party was the night before was really, really great to be able to feel like you're, you know, celebrating this achievement with, with everyone else. And, um, the next day, um, you had to be there at like 1130. Um, and Whoa, what time does the show start? I'm trying to remember what time it started. I mean, it started, um, I think it started at one, something like that. So you had to be there by, uh, by, it seemed, maybe I'm getting my times wrong, but we had to be there at least by 1130, like in there. And when you get in, um, you, you really, there's not much like you should, you should eat first because (laughs) they gave you a granola bar and a, and a bottle of water, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And that's that ceremony, which happens the day of, um, it lasts, it's when most of the awards are given. Okay. The, the televised portion of it is really, I think if you were to count and you subtract all the musical performances, I think it might be like 12 mm-hmm. awards that yeah. are given. And there's like 80 that are given yeah. the day of before. So um, so that one was really, really long, but also so spellbinding to me that I didn't actually spend, the, the red carpet is far away. Mm-hmm. So um, I didn't spend a whole lot of time there because I wanted to be like in this, I wanted to see these people that I admire so much get nominated, like yeah. Brandy Carlisle. I love Brandy Carlisle. Me too. I, was there and she like zipped right back. I was like, oh, whoa, 
and um yeah and bonnie Raitt um wow. was 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 she received a, a couple of grammys i think that night um mm -hmm. and so that was just a real thrill to see these people and to meet like stuart copeland i'm a huge police fan and to like mm -hmm. shake his hand and talk to him was a huge a huge thing so wow. we were just sort of like um you know, in soaking it in. And then um, we all went, as, um, so Dave and I were there, obviously. Um, Phil Facanti was one of the producers on the album. He's a good friend of, of Dave's. And he was at every single recording. And, mm -hmm. um, and Mike was there. And it was just so special to share that experience, the four of us all together. It really mm -hmm. was so meaningful. Oh, uh, where did you sit? Were you were you like way far away, or were you down there with a lot of the other people? No, we were we were kind of down in the middle, but it's a different location than the nighttime one. Oh, okay, okay. So the nighttime one is like huge stadium. Um, did you go to it, that one too? I did. Yeah, okay. yeah. There was barely any time between between them, so we all ran and got some tacos. <laughs> nice, good tacos. <laughs> and not to right? drip it on our clothes, and then yeah, and then uh, ran back to to see the the nighttime one, which was which was way it was far out, just far out. That's awesome. Well, I was so I was so proud to know you, and I thought that was so cool oh. that you got to do that. And I really appreciate you coming on to talk about that experience because I haven't had a clarinetist on. Uh, yet to talk about the Grammy experience. This is my first, and I'm very excited. As I do watch the Grammys, I mean, it's a fascinating show. I remember years ago when Outkast was uh, was popular. Remember that group, Outkast? Uh, like we, my, when I was, you know, years ago, my wife and I would listen to like classical music and some popular music, but especially like she was more classical music. And I, she came in the room one time. I came in the room. She was watching the Grammys and she was studying the screen. And I'm like, it was Outkast. And I said do you like this or are you trying to figure it out? And she said, uh, I'm not sure yet. And it was so great because music is like that. Like you, you know, it, you kind of have to live with it and try to figure it out and you love it or you don't, and you're not even sure. And it's like the greatest thing ever. It was a, it felt like a pilgrimage of yeah. musicianship and mm -hmm. to like all be celebrating this thing that we love, that we have to do like we do it because we have to we feel this inner need to do it but we we're all doing all there together celebrating it it felt like a like a huge celebration of that so that was really special that's fantastic and next we'll listen to snapshots by pascal leboeuf and this one has the composer on piano with tasha warren and dave egger
And that was Snapshots by Pascal LeBeouf with Tasha Warren, Dave Egger, and the composer playing the piano. I wanted to tell listeners uh, that you have a website, and it's called TashaWarrenClarinet.com. And there's a, there's a great blog section in there with some of your thoughts of various things that have happened, uh, links to your recordings information about you projects and various things so um i want if anybody's uh interested in in more about you and there is so much more because you're so busy i looked at your uh schedule just for this year and i'm uh exhausted just from having read it so you're doing a lot of things and uh i think a lot of people will want to check those things out um and i want to thank you so much for being here on the show today and i look forward to your next thing because i guarantee it's going to be good it's going to keep being good and I, uh, I appreciate it so much for being here. Appreciate you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm, I've been a huge fan for so long. It's a, real, it's a real honor to be on your show. So thank you. Thank you so much. And before we leave you for today, if you heard last week's episode, you might remember that we only had time to play a little bit of the piece Crow Cavern. Well, as this is the second part of host Tim Phillips' interview with Tasha Warren, we have the second half of Crow Cavern, which we will play now as a special surprise. This features clarinetist Tasha Warren.
And that was a work called Crow Cavern by Cornelius Boots with Tasha Warren and Dave Egger. And it comes from a CD called Ourself Behind Ourself Concealed. You've been listening to Clarinet Corner, a production of Troy Public Radio and produced by Joey Hudson. I'm Tim Phillips, and there's a lot more where that came from. This is Troy Public Radio. Support comes from the Rosa Parks Museum on Troy University's Montgomery campus. Located on the spot of Mrs. Parks' historic 1955 arrest and featuring exhibits that chronicle the history of the Montgomery bus boycott. More information at troy.edu slash Rosa Parks.